Welcome to everyone this morning. Did everyone sleep well? Sweet dreams. <coughs> Telling someone earlier, I, when I sleep, it's the only time I don't make mistakes. Great fun. Let's open with prayer. Lord, I pray that you will, once again, your Holy Spirit will come upon us whenever we gather. That's our prayer, is that your Holy Spirit will be with us. Or that we will be with your Holy Spirit, that we'll be attentive, that we'll be listening and aware of your presence, your constant steadfast love as Father, as Son, Jesus Christ who died for us and loved us and still loves us and will love us. No matter who we are, where we're from, what we've done, we thank you that you love us. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for being here. I pray that you will pour through me a gift of teaching to guide our thoughts, but also to be open to the new thoughts that this gathered congregation this morning will have as well. And I pray through Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, yesterday we had one point, and today there'll be only one point. And yesterday's point... <coughs> was that God changes lives. And specifically, we talked about one way God changes lives through Scripture, churches reading Scripture together. It's old school, but if we have a new school mentality of openness instead of coming to Scripture with our desire to proof text and just come to our own conclusions and use Scripture to make those points and conclusions, if we come to Scripture with openness churches are going to be changed radically. I believe God wants to do that. So that's the point. That was yesterday's point. And I meant to bring these yesterday. So I'm going to pass these out as a part of yesterday's. Uh, and I'll just hand these. You can hand them to the rows. And that just tells a little bit more about what we spoke about yesterday, the Bible Project. And it'll be a good distraction from the next five minutes as I'm talking that you won't hear what I'm saying. And so... That's just something for you to take with you. You can check the website out. Uh, there's also a website here. And you can check all those resources for the Bible Project. If you'd like to join us or do something similar, the whole idea is to encourage our churches to read the Bible. Read the Bible in Bible classes, and you'll be revolutionary. Instead of just exchanging our opinions and spending 20 minutes on prayer requests, and which is good. We should be praying together and requesting of each other and God. But read the Bible and be in Scripture, and Scripture is meant to show us, show us God, point us to God, and change our lives. So, that was the first one. God changes lives when, when churches study Scripture, read Scripture. These are not the only ways God changes lives. These are two ways that we're talking about today. So we, we have the second one we're going to talk about today. And should I go ahead and give you the point now or wait? Because it's only one point. So should we wait a little longer and build toward it? I think we shall. <laughs> uh, please turn to thir uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I was about to say 3 Corinthians. <laughs> it's good to have... 
uh, Harriet and Justine from Uganda with us, and one of the things that they tell when they're talking about their work is uh, how in Uganda they we don't have they don't have automatic flushing toilets, and here we have automatic flushing toilets. But I also notice in the Pepperdine toilet, there's a little one drop and a three drop, and I thought on other toilets there was a one and a two. Are you going to number one or are you going to number two? But here you can go to number three. So I don't know what number three is. But we're in the third chapter of First Corinthians. And that was on tape as well. So. Verse 10. Who would like to read First Corinthians 3 starting in verse 10 and read through 15? Yeah, go ahead. Using the gifts God gave me, I laid the foundation of that house like an expert builder. Others are building on that foundation, but all people should be careful on how they build it. The foundation that has always been laid is Jesus Christ, and no one can lay down any other foundation. But if people build on that foundation using gold, silver, jewels, wood, grass, or straw, their work will be clearly seen, because the day of judgment will appear, or pardon, will make it visible. That day will appear with fire, and the fire will test everyone's work to show what sort of work it was. If the building that has been put on the foundation still stands, the builder will get a reward. But if the building is burned up, the builder will suffer loss. The builder will be saved, but it will be as one who escapes from the fire. Thank you. Today we're going to talk about churches in transition, and maybe you read the little description of this class. Uh, and the title is Land of Hopes and Dreams, and we're going to discuss a 50-year history of a church. We're not going to dwell a lot on all of the nitty-gritty of that history, but we're going to talk about a particular church that had arrived and then learned to become a church on a journey. And that's our story. And so a lot of our church came with, together with me to Pepperdine, and would you please raise your hand if you're from our church? And uh, yeah, keep raising it so everybody can look around. So the majority, what I do when I speak at Pepperdine is I bring my own congregation. <laughs> and that really brings energy. So, and thank you to the rest of you who have come. And so we want, I wanna talk for a little while, but then stop, and then we'll hear from our congregation more about our journey. So, that work. This um, text that we just read speaks to a piece of our journey because we have um, a, a history that has wrapped itself around ideas of foundations and buildings and people. And we have a tendency as people, and the theme of our lectures is what? We have a tendency to wrap around ourselves around holy people instead of the Holy Spirit. We love each other, and it's kind of hard for us humans to draw the line between believing that one another are, you know, we should be following this person or we should be following the Holy Spirit. But we believe, and this is, this is getting to the point that's going to fill in that blank, we believe that the Holy Spirit is leading our church. And we believe that churches who follow the Holy Spirit will follow the Holy Spirit's prescription 
And so nothing that we say today is intended as a prescription for your church. It's just a story about some people who are on a journey with the Holy Spirit. That's it. And so the rest of this text of, of Paul speaks to that. Verse 16, who would like to read verse 16 of 1 Corinthians 4? Okay, John. Don't you realize that all of you together are at the temple of God and that the Spirit of God lives in you? God will bring ruin upon anyone who ruins this temple. For God's temple is holy, and you Christians are that temple. Stop fooling yourselves if you think you are wise by this world's standards. You will have to become a fool so you can become wise by God's standards. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness. God. As the scriptures say, God catches those who think they are wise in their own cleverness. Wait right there. Thank you, John. Before you read the next line. When we talk about the temple of the Holy Spirit in youth group class, what are we usually wanting to talk to them about? Sexual purity, not vaping. Uh, or whatever it is they were trying to get them not to put in the temple. But this is not the context of this text right here when Paul's talking about the temple. What is he talking about? Go up, we didn't read it, but the beginning of chapter 3, what's Paul addressing? Divisions. He's addressing following one person in exclusion of another, thinking that that's really the God that's wise, Apollos or Paul. So, would someone read verse 21 through 23? Listen very closely to this next line. So then, no more boasting about human leaders. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours, and you are the Christ, and Christ is of God. Read that last line again after present, future, all, start there again. All are yours, and you are of Christ, and Christ is of God. Who has a different version that, that uses the word belong? Would you read that? Everything belongs to you, and you belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to God. Amen. All belong to you, and you belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to God. He's In this text, he's, he's bringing the... The Holy Spirit, he's bringing the Father, he's bringing the Son, and that's who we belong to, and who we follow. Uh, what did he mention before verse 16? Do you know that you are God's temple, and God's Spirit dwells in you? And if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person if God's temple is holy. You are that temple. You are that temple. The reason I wanted to read this this morning is because we're going to talk about a church that had a place that we could have easily called a, a temple. And that temple, to make a super long story short, got torn down. And so we got to live this text. We got to live this text and find out 
if there was going to be something living once that thing got raised to the very foundations, and not just foundations, they when they tore it down, when we sold some property and the the what, what do you call people? The, the demolition group came. They took out the foundations, but it was gone. And so my point is, what was going to be left when that church physical structure got torn down? That's Paul's point. He says right here, he's making this analogy of a building. Whenever uh, a, a builder lays a foundation, someone else builds on it. He's talking about the whole thing with Apollos and Cephas and all that. But he said, each builder must choose with care how to build on it. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one that has been laid. That, that foundation is Jesus Christ. David Vaughn, wherever, where else have we seen that verse mm-hmm. at Harding? On the Bible building. Yeah. David knows that. No other foundation. And it's, and it's some strange King James Version. Mm-hmm. I've all, I always walk by and I would re- read it and go, does not make sense, but they chiseled it, so I don't know. Uh, it started with other. Other foundation, other foundation can no man, man lay than that which is laid, yeah. which is Christ Jesus. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, but in real English it says, For no one can lay any foundation other than the one that has been laid. That foundation is Jesus Christ. And we're, and then he goes on to say, now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, steel beams and concrete, that part's not in there, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, the work of each builder will become visible, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed with fire, and fire will test what sort of work each has done. If what has been built on the foundation survives, the builder will receive a reward. If the work is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, the builder will be saved, but only as through fire. And then goes on to say that we are examples. I believe that the work that we do, we do it as a response to the grace of God. And that that work that we do will somehow, through the refining fire of God, that comes to destroy evil in the, in the life to come. That the good we do will live on in the world to come. And so everything you do to love, everything you do to point people to Jesus, everything you do to serve, every beautiful thing you build, John, will have worth in the kingdom. Does that mean that if something like a church building gets torn down, that it was of no worth? No. But the things that were done there, the good that was done, the lives that were changed, people would say about our church when we had to make a decision. Again, a long story, I'm not going to belabor, but when we had to make a decision to get out of debt, to sell a property in a building, when we had to make that decision, People would say, I baptized my children there. And then I would say, I did too. I baptized my three children in that baptistry. And then they said, well, I got married there. Right? Why? It was funeral. And there's, it's, there's strong emotions tied to that place. And it's very, very difficult. 
to see it torn down. But what we say was that we still were baptized there. We still were married there. We still had those relationships there. Those things live on. The church survives. The church may be torn down, but the church is not the building. How many of you were taught that when you were growing up as I was? <laughs> I was taught that when I was growing up. My parents kept saying, in fact, to this day, to this day, my parents will not say they're going to church when they're going to the particular building that they're talking about. They will say, we're going to the building. We're going to the building to have a, a potluck or to have a Tuesday night meeting. Okay. That's my parents' way of remembering to say, we are the church. And we are. We are, in verse 16, don't you know that you are God's temple? Temples of the Holy Spirit. And so with confidence, we walked away from that property. The youth group took a cross that was the front of our congregation, seven-foot cross, and together walked it down the sidewalk to the new place that we had rented, church office. And then we uh, decided to rent a school and worship there. And so we confidently walked away saying, we know that we are the church, that we are his temple, and the spirit is leading us. So God changes lives when churches, which we talked about yesterday, read scripture, and when churches, what do you think this lines with? I'm not even sure the people that came with me were like, what, what's he going to say? I'll just go and say, you're the teacher, just tell us. When churches pray, and I want to tell a couple of stories about how um, the Holy Spirit led us. And as a reminder for me to say this and not to miss it, so whatever you hear in this story today, uh, one of the reasons I'm not going into nitty-gritty details is it doesn't really ultimately matter. God gets the glory for whatever he wants of the glory for what happened in our church and God will get the glory of whatever happens in your church and we were a church that had arrived but we had arrived we thought we had a lot of debt 35 years we've been in debt and so one of the one things we wanted was to be free from that and so we were able to through a long series of events that included a lot of prayer and a lot of asking God for guidance. And I'll give you one example of that, and then maybe it will lead into other examples that the Journey Congregation can tell. Uh, I remember many years of talking about uh, money and debt and building, <coughs> and it became what was the center of the conversation. So that, in a sense, we were in a temple that was not the focus of us being the temple. We were in a place that was, in a way, an idol, an idol temple. That's one way to look at it. It's not the only way to look at it. That place was a great, like all of our church buildings, a place of 
where holy things happen. But it had become overwhelming for a declining church. And that had been going on for years. And I remember the smudge mark on the conference table where one of the elders put his head down and his forehead, and he said, we can't do this anymore, this debt. And I remember asking, what's your plan? And I knew that there had been many plans over the years to try to get rid of debt. And I'll never forget the answer that he and the all those other elders said, agreed with. We don't have a plan. And I said, okay. Uh, but God does, they said. And if God does, then the church can't help but get behind it. And I never imagined, and we always even thought in our conventional wisdom that the church would not get behind debt reduction. But they did. And the Holy Spirit led a church to get behind it. And some of the people that are here today were part of a group called the Mountain Movers who we believe that God can move mountains. And prayer would lead us to whatever answers that we needed to come to. We just knew that we wanted to be free from Egypt. We just knew that we wanted to walk through the Red Sea of debt to, the, to a promised land. Maybe we thought there was some promised land out there, but what we found out was that we're ever on a journey. And another group of ended up being all ladies who named our church, called our church the journey. And that solidified it. It was like we'd come from a place where we were enslaved to debt, and we thought we'd arrive, and now we're, on a, we're ever on a journey. It's one of the reasons our church likes to travel together. We take it fairly literally. Uh, in two years, we're planning to go to the Holy Land together. Uh, we've even been joking this week about chartering a bus next year for Pepperdine. Coming, seeing the Grand Canyon. Sleeping through the night in the Greyhound bus, the charter. Waking up and eating at IHOP. Or Cracker Barrel. It was a Cracker Barrel. <laughs> we like to travel together. We're on a journey. And... Prayer has been an essential part of that journey. Following God's Spirit has been an essential part of that journey. And there's been some times when we were going to make what I would say would be foolish decisions, additional foolish decisions, that the Holy Spirit, thank God, kept us from. For example, we were able to sell land through a series of God events in which God used probably the last person if we did a schoolyard lineup of picking who would be representative of our church to go and represent, say, hey, we're going to sell our property in Tulsa. Probably the last person our church would have chosen from a worldly standpoint was the, in God's humor and God's beautiful way, was the one he chose to put us in touch with Union School District that bought our land and God blessed us. Congregation Ministry of Judy Alana. And so during that whole journey, we sold the land, we got out of debt, and then we were able to start a mission foundation in which we decided we want to, we want to spend more time sending short and long-term missionaries, medium-term missionaries. And so that mission foundation is called Every Nation Mission Foundation. You can find out about it here. Website and get go to the Go link. You can see more about that. But with the rest of the money, we decided to relaunch our church and called it the journey. 
And so we want to, in a very real way, be the journey today. And I'm going to stop here and uh, almost halfway through and talk about if I've left any holes that, like, okay, you're thinking, Greg, you skipped over a major thing. Then please fill that hole in, anyone from Journey. Um, and then talk about where we are now. And then if anyone has any questions or, or comments about your church or something you'd like to share, we'll spend some time doing that as well. Okay? All right, so I'll just open it up to Journey. Y'all chime in. I'll just reiterate something that you kind of touched on, and that was that every church's journey is different. And, and so, you know, we don't have a pattern of what we think churches should do. But an example of that is that we were at um, a little retreat with the staff, and <coughs> one of the people that was there um, was a member at another church. And they had this, they wanted to get out of debt. And so they did this amazing fundraiser thing, and they got out of debt. And so we were like, that's it. And that's where the mountain, what was it? Mountain, mountain movers. Mountain movers. We were like, we can do this. We want to just raise money. And, and so all of these people came together as a group. And Beth can speak better of this. But I just want to say that, although it made a big dent, was not what helped us the most. And, and so that, I just want to reiterate that it, every story is different. I mean, mm -hmm. that was a great time. It brought people together, and they had a common goal, but God chose to sell our building and not save it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, so that, you know, I just wanted to make that point, but Beth may have more to say on that. I think something <coughs> that I've been thinking about, reflecting on the mountain movers and um, all the little things we did that raised a lot of money mm -hmm. in one sense, thousands of dollars, which is a significant thing, but when you're looking at millions of dollars of debt, it's a small piece. But people were people sold their gold. They donated their necklaces and sold them and, and gave the money to us, a couple hundred dollars. And it was so participatory. Mm -hmm. It wasn't the leadership said, we're going to get out of debt. Here's our plan. Everybody was involved. It wasn't Everyone just saying, okay, well, Even let us know when we're there and, you know, we'll celebrate with you. The children were selling things and making things and people were making jelly and, I mean, selling off land that they had and it just, everybody had a, a role and, and we valued all of those roles. Mm -hmm. We didn't say that's not really enough. That hundred dollars mm -hmm. is not going to be able to take <laughs> yeah. care of it. And what that illustrates to me is we were all willing to open our hands because that was a key moment when we stopped grasping what we thought God wanted to hold, hold on to. Building, gold, um, our energy. I just don't have energy for this. Open your hands and ask God if he will give you the energy or the money or the land. Um, and another way, Beth referenced the youth group selling jam. Jacob, my son, at the time was in ninth grade. He ran 400 miles, got sponsors to raise $1,000 on $1.3 million of debt. And it wasn't, to him, 
how could he know that that wasn't even enough to pay that month's interest on our loan? And I, it makes me sad, but in another way happy, that Jacob, too, like all the rest of the examples Beth gave, was willing to say, I, I can give something. And I can think creatively. And to me, I'd much rather have had my children grow up in a very difficult environment of a declining church where they're participating in the life of a church, whatever it is, whatever trouble, rather than a consumeristic youth group that just hands the kids everything. Yes, ma'am. Because when we were trying to get out of debt, we weren't talking about selling the building. We were just trying to pay off the debt, right? Mm-hmm. Y'all remember that? It was yeah. we, we didn't intend to, to sell our building. We just wanted to pay off debt. We said, okay, we're free and clear of that $12,000 a month bank payment for a church of about 200, 250. Yeah. So it's a lot. <coughs> How many of your churches are in some kind of debt that you know about? Raise your hand. I'm looking at this side of the room. There's four of you, and all of you raised your hand. Let it be noted. Okay, let me look at this side of the room. Goodness. So everybody in the room has been in a church where there's debt. Now, I'm not saying that debt is bad. I mean, maybe, maybe one of you is a banker, and I apologize. If, <laughs> debt is not bad in itself. Debt is a great tool. Debt is something that is uniquely um, to a wealthy country like ours. A lot of countries, you don't have debt. You don't I mean you don't have the ability to have credit, and that, that harms. It's hurtful to a lot of people who can't get homes and things. So, how talk about that? Maybe one one or more of you in your church is it something that weighs on you or your congregation? And some maybe give an example of a way that it does that it affects your decision making. Well, we were growing at our congregation, and we wanted to. We We're just going to play half court. Okay. New surrounding net. I mean, that's, that's a good image. We can't grow 
can't grow Spanish. unless you build a little bit more to, to house the people that need to be there. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Anybody else like to give an example? We uh, we were part of a, a building campaign uh, when we first moved to uh, southern New Jersey, and uh, the initial budget was over $5 million to build the building. The, the church had already bought the property, and they were doing the stages. Um, they we started the building project, but what the elders did was we just cut. We cut out two million out of the project and raised um, and raised another two million. So and we've been paying it off, but now we're under a million. Mm -hmm. um, in New Jersey, the numbers are a little bit more higher. Okay? <laughs> what you're saying, what you just said, doesn't sound like a lot of debt to me, but yeah. in New Jersey, it's a different culture. Mm -hmm. So. Uh -huh. But you know the conversation; it hasn't started, but it's going to. We're in decline, mm -hmm. and um, it's kind of there. Yeah. Some of us see it, mm -hmm. and some of us don't, or don't want to admit it. Yeah. But um, I'm I'm with you. I yeah. mean, if it was me, I would. Yeah. Let's do it. Mm -hmm. Let's let's get on the journey. Let's get going. Mm -hmm. You know. Yeah. And it does affect your decisions because you think, okay, if we make a decision that makes this person who gives a lot of money mad and they leave. Those, those are the kind of things that we decided, let's make decisions that are the right things that the Spirit is leading us to do. And that's what being debt-free, one of the benefits is you can really decide this doesn't, this may not affect us as much as if we were in debt. Yes, I was just going to ask you, what did you mean when you say that your church is in decline? What, what are you talking about? I'm talking about a 20-year, 50-member a year decline. It's a decadal decline that you can just that you can graph. That's been happening since the 90s. Okay. Yeah. And the reason I read this text is because it it's a parable of what can happen when you build something that has a lot of focus on a person and a building. Mm -hmm. And then what happens when that person leaves? What happens when that, that celebrity figure, that person that's kind of a central figure, leaves and and or is diminish in some way and, and there was some there's other churches like that we can see in our state and other states that that kind of keeps happening and that doesn't I don't know the answer to that but I just see it happening over and over so what should we do and one of the things that I'm committed to doing is to I I, I told the church I'm committed I'm committed I'm su submitted to the elders and I'm not your celebrity I'm not your idol I don't want to be I want, I want my soul to be saved. So being an idol is not a good way to get your soul saved. Um, so I want to point you to Jesus, and I want all of us to point each other to Jesus. And I'm not saying that any other preacher or any other meant to do that, and, and they didn't. They were all Jesus pointers like me and all had probably said the same things. But being very self-aware of that, I think, is important for churches. And in every decision that's made about did I answer your question? I'm not sure if I answered. Yes, I because it can. It, yes, I, you did because it can mean different things to different people. But the idea of a church being in decline, mm -hmm. I, I just wanted to know what was the experience. Yeah, what, what was it? And I guess I went down the rabbit trail of why we declined. So I, I, I don't know if we can really pinpoint why we declined. Yeah, we have splits. We had relational problems. There was lots of human stuff in that. And, uh, people leaving that committed money for a building program and then left and mm -hmm. and that still happens in our day-to-day -day. it still happens in all of our churches 
Teresa, am I being fair? Or what What would you say to kind of balance what I'm saying? If you were going to say, uh, maybe let's. Teresa has been there a long time. John's been there a long time. Uh, refute what I say if you. Uh, just about decline. If there's. Has, has it's not just that this you know, requirement in place for physicians to have a clinical mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the things I remember too is when we looked at some of the numbers of decline over the years as mm-hmm. we did that chart, and it wasn't necessarily um, an above average decline. Lots of churches had that, mm-hmm. but we also weren't growing. There weren't new mm-hmm. people coming in to sort of offset some of that. Yeah. So realizing that piece is also missing. Mm-hmm. Like there can only be so much about people that will leave. Yeah. And people will just move away because the job takes them away from yep. people. You know, there were some other theological issues that were, you know, pretty divisive. But yep. but there also wasn't new new life coming in. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So what do we do about that piece? don't plan to grow you will decline in church life it's just the truth and and so for some years I came in 2005 and at the time we were already downplaying numbers because we were declining we didn't really want to talk about numbers because at that time the church had gone from over a thousand to about 600 and so we continued to lose those numbers without as Beth was pointing out without really a plan to how do you grow by 50 if 50 people die and move away just to stay even just to stay even so if you want to grow by 50 members 50 members die and move away you have to have enough births so either have to have a baby birth plan uh, or uh, people moving in and and having people join your your church and uh, churches do a lot of things to try to build that up some great some not so great um, I was telling Nate, our youth minister, yesterday about something that a guy named Craig Grishel told me some years ago. And this is to illustrate that I very much, you know, just like the comment I made a few minutes ago about thinking that it relies on me and thinking that I'm the, the center of things, I'm not. And so Craig Grishel said, when I was lamenting some of the decline, he said, Greg, if you take the responsibility on your shoulders for the decline, someday you will take credit for the increases. And I said, I said, yes, sir. (laughs) And so the context of my conversation with Nate was, even now, as a newly launched church, we're coming on, how many, two, is it three? three? We're going on three years as the journey. And we're, we're still on this, um, when, we, when I climbed Kilimanjaro with some guys years ago, there was basically four stages. You began the whole thing looking at Kilimanjaro way out there, and it looked like you were walking horizontally to Kilimanjaro. Like, when are we going to climb up? The first day was all through rainforest, and we were in water up to our knees. I was like, I didn't sign up for walking through water up to my knees to climb Kilimanjaro. And 
we're not even going up anywhere. Just gradually through water. But that's kind of how we are in this long journey we're on. We're still in some rainforest with water up to our knees in some ways. Out of debt, yes. <coughs> we have a mission foundation, yes. But as far as learning how to be the church, how to continue to grow as a church, spiritually, numerically, in all ways, how to send missionaries, that's a big part of our vision. We wanna, we, our vision is to welcome all people and for all people to become missionaries. Where we are, but also keep the classic definition of a missionary, one who's sent for a purpose. So we're trying with this mission foundation to continue sending missionaries, but we're also wanting to teach each other how do we become missionaries right where we are in our careers, in our neighborhoods, in our homes, right where we are. What does it mean to be a missionary? So someone else from Journey chime in. Maybe did everybody get who didn't get a chance yesterday to talk? Ben, I know if you would like a chance, uh, feel free. Anyone else? DJ? Like I said, uh, okay, go ahead. one of the things that I, I love the most about it is... Make sure you talk pretty loud, but that way you okay. can be heard. So, I mean, at, at the journey, we have our eyes and our vision on God and just trying to see where he wants to lead us. But what's beautiful about the old church in Utah as it is, we mean, school district came in and bought it, and the mines, the young children are coming up out of that place where you know, there's a lot of Christians going out of anger, that the, the community would be greatly impacted by the decision that we as a church took on. Yeah, thank you. The Ellen Ochoa Elementary School is now sitting right where our old building is sitting, where, as we read the scripture, I told you it was torn down. And then that, it's a beautiful school where a thousand students will study. There's 500 that are building the second phase of this school, but 500 students are already there. And, and it is, it's beautiful. You use the word beautiful. Yes, sir. So, where do you guys worship at? You, yeah. you don't have your own building. Good question. We worship at a, a Christian school that has a fixed auditorium with 300 seats. And we don't have to put up chairs in a public school gym or anything every week, which we considered all different options. We, we decided we've torn down a church, let's not build one for a long time. We don't have any plans. People ask us, when do you plan on building a building? And what's your answer, John, as an elder? We don't plan to build a building. I love that answer. I love that answer so much. I love just watching people's faces whenever, whether it's somebody in our church or somebody otherwise, they just kind of go. <laughs> As if that's somehow like different from the early church that was meeting in homes and wherever. Or the churches, some of the churches in Uganda where Harriet and Justine live. If the weather's so good, they can meet under a mango tree. But they do love to have buildings too, don't they? Yeah. And do you have problems over buildings and arguments over buildings in Uganda? Surely not. <laughs> Give us some advice from Uganda, wisdom, um, about when you're hearing us talk, you're thinking, ah, those American people, uh, those, these, are, these are French missionaries, they were in France, you know, those French people. What can we, if, if by the way, they could speak to 30 different countries in France, right? I mean, in uh, Africa, because they're French people. Mm -hmm. 
with the French. Um, tell us something about churches in Uganda. Unroofed building, because if you look home in Uganda, we don't have big fancy type buildings. Even when you come to our Jinga church, it's like it's not all that big. But for us, we always feel like the Lord is there with us. The Lord doesn't come because we have a nice building, but He will come. He loves us equally. And uh, when we gather, we read the Bible together, we encourage each other, we feel encouraged. And also, we take an extra mile with this home. Like you can see, we thought that this day we're going to be just in house. All of us will go there, we praise the Lord together, we eat food together. Not because Justin has a very big house where all of us will sit. And then we just need to sit outside. So for us back home, a church building is not a big deal. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And one of the reasons I did not bring pictures today is because the congregation is here. You can look at their faces and see joy <laughs> on all of our faces. Do you see that we feel free of debt? Do you see on their faces that they're, we're not living with the kind of burden that debt can bring? He did bring pictures. <laughs> oh, yeah. There's, there's other pictures there. And so if you'd like to look, I, I brought some calendars that have um, just something more about our church. If you'd like to just pass those around. If you want to keep one, you're welcome to. Uh, there's five of them and probably five of you that would, Maybe want to keep them in, but you don't have to if you don't want to carry it around. But could, could you pass over here? Okay, go ahead. Could I'll you just make a comment? I, Maybe I, one more. I worked in France. Okay. <laughs> some years, but I remember being at a, at a church, you know, we were a missionary raising funds all the time. Yes. But I had a preacher tell me about his church where I was visiting this church will not grow if we don't repay by tithing now. <laughs> wow. And to say, I don't, I don't know, I, maybe I'm just really naive, but it, do you think there's even a possibility of us being Christians looking out in the mission, never being in debt again, if only looking that way? Yeah. I, I heard, you know, it's been people said here, you know, for us to grow, you're not going to have to endure debt. Part of one now that has debt. Mm -hmm. It's not a bad thing where you're at. Mm -hmm. It's okay. Mm -hmm. but, um, but it's a good question. But it just. Suppose. Do we have to. Do we, do we I have a personal aversion to, to 
Yeah, so I think it's a question for the community, and that's where we would put it is, we're not here to say debt is the enemy, but just to say, that's a question for your church. Is this debt holding us back in some way? Um, and, and be very specific and real with each other about it. Put your head on the table like our elder did. Uh, yes? Along with that, with the debt, is for us, being a little worried about, we, got, we support 32 missionaries in Cuba. Mm -hmm. And so the immediate conversation is when your debt is not being paid off fast enough, is what can we cut? And so mm -hmm. every ministry in the church is affected when the debt is so high. People right. automatically get trying to cut this and cut this and keep, keep yeah. trying to keep stop the bleeding. Yeah. And um, everyone suffers from the yeah. debt. Everyone suffers. Yeah. Thank you. The, well, let's talk for the last few minutes about the kind of church we are. That's why I gave you those calendars. And you can kind of see some pictures there. Yes, we did bring pictures. I guess they're just in paper form. Um, we now think that it's okay to keep track of numbers, baptisms, those kind of things. It's just one of the things that and when you're in decline, sometimes you just lose track of that being important. Um, but the journey we're on now is one in which we believe that all people are welcome, and that's a very, very important part of bringing people along in the journey. When we put our sign up, it says that it, you have something. I just want to add that oh, we, we are looking at numbers, but you also celebrate families. Yes. It's not just, oh, we just kind of volunteered, but mm -hmm. there's families that it's, wow, this volunteer. So that's, that's celebrated. Yes, next steps. And that's what I was going to add. I think the definition of grow for the journey has changed. Mm -hmm. It's not, I mean, are we growing in numbers or are we growing disciples? Are we growing yeah. someone's heart? And yeah. I mean, because let's face it, whether you're in debt or not in debt, a church still needs money right. to pay their staff. Yeah. <laughs> we pay rent. This is our finance person. <laughs> and, and, and so you, you have to have those things, yeah. It's yeah. whatever you call it. Yes. Uh, but I think redefining growth and what that means for you is, I think, been really key yeah. for the journey. Yeah, it's more important for us to keep next steps with people on discipleship. We actually do that now. Every week in our staff meetings, we ask each other, what next steps are you seeing people take? And are we taking in discipleship? And we actually keep track of it on a database by name, by what step they're taking, whether it's a child or an 80-year-old who went on the first mission trip or, or you know, whatever that step is. We're keeping track of people's discipleship and those or wins and, and celebrating those things, and, and that's a that's a cool thing. So, welcoming all people, keeping and encouraging next steps. Our communion is a very open communion in which we model it after the table of Jesus, and we welcome all people. If you're in the room, and we've mentioned the name of Jesus, and you haven't left the room kicking and screaming with your hands over your ears, then we believe you're. You're a good candidate for being welcomed at the table of Jesus because that's what Jesus did when he was on the earth. And so whatever church you're from, or not church, before you're baptized or after you're baptized, let's share this bread and cup together. And you are welcomed. That's a key part of what we do. We have our family time, which we open the mic, which took us some years to get used to or to even be willing to do the end of our service, we invite people, anyone, to come and share a prayer request, celebration, something that would encourage others. So the, the environment is one of openness, uh, one of openness to the LGBTQ community, 
we mean all people when we say we welcome all people. So that's the journey, and I want to end with a song uh, that is the title of today's class, Land of Hope and Dream. And it's by my favorite rocker, Bruce Springsteen. And the, the lyrics of the song, uh, when I first heard it, moved me so much. And I hope you can understand the lyrics when Springsteen starts talking about a train. And that's what we are on. We're on a journey. The metaphor he's using is a train. But we believe what he's saying is what should be true of our church, that all people should get on board. Now, you'll hear the words, I think,
to leave you with is um, if your church is a train, and we started with a metaphor of foundation, but now we move to a different metaphor. We're on a journey. If your church is on a journey and your church is a train, who does your train carry? Saints and sinners, losers and winners, whores and gamblers, lost souls. That's what we want our church to be. Um, uh, One of our shepherds said many times, this is the church I've always dreamed of. And I hope that that land of hope and dreams, I hope your church can be the church that you've been dreaming of because it's the church God's dreaming of. May God bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and all of your church. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you shalom. Give you great peace. Thanks for coming today. God bless you.